The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. Before we start the interview, I have some exciting news. On April 7th, we're going to have our first American Negotiation Institute Business Negotiation Seminar, and it's going to be here in Columbus, Ohio. These seminars are always a lot of fun, so hopefully you can make it out. If you're interested, check the link in the description. Our guest today is my friend Baron. He is a fellow corporate attorney and the director of business and legal affairs at NBC Universal. In today's episode, he gives us some really great tips that you can use in any negotiation. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Baron, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, it's good to have you. I'm, I'm excited. We've been trying to get this on the calendar for a while and I kept messing up. So I appreciate your patience. Uh, I'll definitely take some of that blame along with you. Uh, but I'm glad we got it to work out today. Definitely. Sure. Well, how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So uh, my name is Baron Ojo. I am an attorney by trade. I currently work for NBC Universal as a director of business and legal affairs in the TV distribution and new media group. What that means is I negotiate a lot of the license deals with the platforms that customers subscribe to so that they have all of our content, our TV shows and movies there on demand, ready to be rented or, or purchased. Very cool. And how did you get into this? What made you take this line of work? Great question. So I think everyone's path to entertainment law is slightly unique. For me, this began in college when I interned with Warner Brothers on a fluke. One of my friends had interned there the previous summer, and he he hit me up asking if I would be interested. I interned there in the HR group, and through my contacts there, I met with a lot of the lawyers. They seemed to be having a good time while being challenged, and that really appealed to me. And I made a decision to go ahead and pursue that as my career. So in college, I changed from being mainly business-focused to now being more of a pre-law-focused. Studied for the LSAT, went to law school, worked at a firm on Wall Street for a number of years, and then I transferred to my current position that I'm at now. Very nice. Yeah. So it, it all went according to plan, right? <laughs> it, it did. It did. I, I feel very fortunate in that regard that that my planning did work. It worked out for me. That's fantastic. Oh, before we jump into it, tell the audience how we met too. I was a fan first. I was listening to the negotiation podcast. I think I was preparing myself for, I think it was a, a salary negotiation, and I was trying to get as much information as possible, a theme that we'll probably touch on later in this conversation. And my resources was your podcast. And I think I reached out to you on LinkedIn, just to let you know that I was a fan. And one thing led to another, and here we are. 
Yes, that's so cool. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you reached out. And now we're friends with Chad and stuff. So it's, it's cool to make that connection. And also, listeners, that goes to show I actually do send messages to you all when you when you reach out to me on LinkedIn. But I, I will concede this past summer has been really busy. I know I have over 200 connections to uh, to catch up on in my inbox, which is a bit daunting, but they will happen. It will happen eventually. So, yeah. I'm wow, going, I feel really I'm special now. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> that, I am serious about this. So, yeah, I'm glad we connected. And, and I'm glad it was helpful. And so it's cool to see when people actually use this and it and it helps. So that's always good to see. Well, cool. So this is going to be a bit of a different interview because I'm really excited about this one because we're taking a bit of a change here. We are going to talk about some of your favorite quotes and how they apply to negotiation. So uh, what are the three quotes we're going to be talking about today? Sure. So uh, these are three of my favorite quotes, ones that I rely on in my day-to-day life, not just my professional life, but also my personal relationships. And the first one is always, always, always respect your opponent. The second is the best way to learn is to talk with people. And the third is the correct answer to a tough situation is often first to take a deep breath. I love it. I love it. So let's let's start off with always respect your opponent. So where did you get this from and how does it apply to your life or how do you apply it to your life? So I think this is something that I learned probably the hard way playing high school football. <laughs> and I always thought of myself as faster and, and stronger than a lot of people just from my experience when I was younger playing other sports. And then when I, when I got to high school, I started to run into bigger and stronger athletes, people that maybe you didn't notice just by looking at them. And so that kind of started to trigger my brain, like, okay, what other things are not always exactly what they seem? And I noticed that as a pattern throughout my career and my life, you just never know what exactly is motivating your opponent. You don't know just how strong their resolve is. You don't know what their overall intentions are. And so because there's so many unknowns that are at play in really any situation, but definitely in negotiation or persuasion scenarios, it's good to just be very respectful. And I think that begs the question, okay, well, what what does that mean to be respectful? Do I just say please and thank you? No. (laughs) That means oftentimes it just means prepare. Really, really prepare. And even if you feel like you have leverage, you feel like you have maybe more insight, maybe more knowledge, more experience, prepare as if the other person has even more of what you feel so strong about. And it'll, over time, usually work out in your favor. I really like that. I really like that. And I like how you're able to operationalize respect, because a lot of times respect is one of those words that we say all the time, but we don't really have a full appreciation of what it means. And operationalizing it through the the preparation process, I think, is a brilliant way to do that. So, Baron, earlier in the interview, you talked about how uh, how you're playing high school football and when that lack of respect became evident in probably a little bit of pain. I was wondering, what do you think it looks like when you don't have a healthy respect for the other side in a business context, in a negotiation? So it may not be really that intuitive, but I think you start to display habits of laziness, perhaps even greed during negotiations when you don't have the appropriate level of respect and and that has led you to not do your homework really to the degree that you would if 
if you had a full dose of respect for the other party. And there are examples of this in, a, in my industry, for sure, with a lot of parties who dealt with, say, a Netflix when they first started out. And they may have thought they had so much leverage and, and the idea was so unlikely to reach the success that they're that seeing now that they negotiated differently than they would have if they had really all the facts in front of them as far as where the market was going. That's just really one example. But if you look in most negotiations, in most scenarios where there are two sides, and either side has perfect information on the other, without the level of preparation that you would approach with someone who you knew was way out of your, let's say, level of expertise in that in that particular arena, if you do not approach every negotiation that way, you'll see where gaps start to form in your success rate with all your, your different partners. So I think those are some examples of of ways that not having a healthy level of respect can materialize in a work environment. Yeah, I love those examples. And kind of uh, following up on especially what you said about greed, I think it kind of goes to show that if you don't respect the other side, it's going to be difficult for you to be able to truly empathize with them. Because if you haven't taken the time to do the research and learn about them, it shows a lack of curiosity mm. as to what's going on in their world. And that that in and of itself would inhibit effective communication and negotiation is is a, a part of that too so that's a really really great point precisely and it's difficult especially when you're on the top of your game to really maintain that same level of respect for your opponent that you may have had when you first entered into whatever your area of work is right that's a great point great point Robert. Good deal. So let's go to number two, quote number two, the best way to learn is to talk with people. It's a pretty common saying, but you know, the source for me for this is, is Robert Reich, an economist. And how I used this phrase is really as a way to be more comfortable with people who have different negotiating styles. I remember when I first joined the firm, there was a, a large, a very wide range of negotiating styles from hyper aggressive to very, very passive. And, you know, both styles work for sure. But in order to better prepare yourself for encountering these different types of styles, the best way to do that is to reach out to people and just have as many different conversations with different types of people as you can in your own time. What will start to happen is you'll start to notice patterns, logical patterns that, that people use to get their point across. You'll notice oftentimes aggression will be followed with maybe a, a moment of, of reflection of what they said, and that might be a time to, to maybe get your point across or to empathize with them and catch them off guard. It's really difficult to do, I think, academically. I think you really have to get out there and, and really talk, talk with people, and it doesn't have to be an adversarial conversation. I think you could pick up some of those human characteristics just through conversations. I agree 100%. It's almost like taking the opportunity day to day to use our everyday conversations as training for the difficult conversations. Because like you said, different people have different styles. And the best way to expose yourself to those styles is to talk to as many different kinds of people as possible. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. 
So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Absolutely. And there are unintended consequences, positive consequences for, for doing that. You you seem to have the curiosity that we discussed in the, the previous quote, and you also begin to use your own skills and become more comfortable with your own voice, which is important. Right. Absolutely. When we are listening, because I know everybody knows that listening is is an important skill. Do you have any tips for us to improve our ability to listen effectively? Yeah. If you aren't in front of the person, take notes. I'm always surprised when I see a group call or, or any type of call that it has some importance and people are not taking notes. Even something that, that may not seem important, if you take good notes, you'll be surprised what you find later on and what, what is actually very relevant to the problem at, at hand. So that's, that's probably my number one tip for being a better listener. Some people do say that note-taking can distract you, but I guess that's really a personal preference. For me, taking notes has helped a lot. Now, if you're in front of the person, a way to listen more effectively is to give some, some verbal cues that you, you are listening okay, oh, I understand, maybe repeat the last thing that they said, you know, that usually will keep you engaged if you are someone who tends to wander off. I know I can do that sometimes. So yeah, those are those are two of the things I would probably, I'd highlight. Yeah, I agree 100% because I'm a note taker just in general. I like taking notes. And I think a lot of times people get in trouble when it comes to taking notes in a conversation because they turn into almost like a transcriptionist. And not really a note taker. If you're trying to, if you're ending up transcribing things, you're not doing that great of a job because now you're not listening. You're focusing on writing. And I think a way to get around that is to take short, abbreviated notes during the meeting, like you suggest. And then typically, if you follow up with the notes quickly enough, preferably immediately after the meeting, you can expound on those notes and elaborate because typically just that truncated portion of the statement should be enough to trigger the entire statement in your memory. And then you could elaborate fully later on. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. You should not turn into a court reporter <laughs> during the, <laughs> the call. You're taking everything down. Yes, definitely note the big topics. Also note shifts in the emotion level of the other person speaking. If they emphasize something, definitely want to make a note of that. And You'd be surprised how impressed people can be when you are able to believably recall something that they said earlier in a conversation or perhaps in a previous conversation and implement that into your response. People love to be to be heard. Absolutely. Another thing you said when you were you're talking about those affirmations to let the person know that you're listening. A lot of times, especially in adversarial type of situations, people are afraid of doing that because they don't want to seem as though they are agreeing with what the person is saying. And there's a big difference between validating what somebody's saying or acknowledging what somebody's saying and and agreeing. And so if you, somebody says that you that something that you disagree with, you could respond by saying, "I understand where you're coming from. I could see how I could see that." 
That makes sense. Something like that is not necessarily agreeing, but it's showing that you listen. Right. Exactly. Perfect. Let's move on to number three. The correct answer to a tough situation is often take a deep breath. Yeah, this this one is probably, you know, the most obvious, maybe eye roll inducing. But to me, (laughs) I think it's probably the most helpful of the three. If you are in your car in traffic or and this is just on in the background, this is the one thing I hope you would take from this is just when you are confronted with a situation that has caught you off guard or or even a tough decision, something that you already knew about beforehand, but it's time to make the tough decision. Take a deep breath and wait a second before you do it. I think that it's really hard to overstate how important it is to take that second and take a deep breath before you engage and before you reply. Definitely. And when it comes to uh, this conversation, let's say it's a difficult conversation, how do we do that in the middle of a conversation in a way that doesn't let the doesn't let the other person that you're you're counting down from ten and you are livid. <laughs> if you're absolutely livid, then you definitely need to take probably several deep breaths before you respond. But I think in this situation, so when I'm thinking of when you take a deep breath in a negotiation context or even in a debate context, if someone presents information that you perhaps were not prepared to discuss or perhaps the information is new information that wasn't really on your radar when you approach the table. There can be, at times, depending on your personality, an urge to maybe speak quicker, to speed up, to not show that new information has been introduced to you, that maybe you were like, trying to prove that you were on top of it already. I felt that a lot going back again, pulling from my, my law firm days. There are often times that something would be said that maybe a client didn't tell you about beforehand. And so it's like, oh, wow, this is new information. It was very important that I would take a second before I said anything. Even if what I was going to say was, let me get back to you about that, which is another point for another day. But even just something like that, I think it's important to take that second and it may signal to the other side that put something out there that they didn't know about. But at the same time, it's going to come out anyways. If it's really new information, I think someone who is, relatively good at reading body language in person or just voice over the phone to be able to tell that, okay, there's new information. And the fact that you took your time and composed yourself and came back with a well thought out retort in any sense is, I think, almost always better than a rushed response off guard. Oh, absolutely. I think about it kind of like back in the day in college when I would give people haircuts some days were good, some days were bad, <laughs> and the bad days, so the bad days were worse for my friends than it were than it was for me. But I learned there's some mistakes that you cannot recover from. Like I can't create new hair if I make that mistake, and I, I liken that to a negotiation where if you try to respond too quickly without taking that time, you might make you might say something that simply cannot be taken back. Now we've entered a new a new reality in this negotiation that is not favorable and you can't backtrack. You know, you can't put the the toothpaste back in the tube. And um, one of the things I do, I'm here in Columbus, Ohio, and the the Ohio State Law School, they have a negotiation team and I'm an assistant coach there and I work with my clients too who who want negotiation coaching. And a lot of times what I find is that as the conversation gets more contentious, people get more reactive and it becomes almost like a game of ping pong where they're just hitting the, the conversational ball back and forth, back and forth. And they're not really thinking, they're just reacting. And 
what I tell people is that it's important once the conversation gets serious to slow down in general. If you're having a, a really calm conversation with a friend or maybe even in the negotiation where you're building rapport and just getting to know each other, feel free to respond quickly, rapid fire, because the stakes are very low. But what I suggest doing is as the stakes get start to get higher in the conversation, slowing down in general, because like you said, it can be a tell. It's like, oh, I said something that really threw Baron off or I gave him something to think about or he didn't like that. But if in general, you are slowing down and pausing before responding when the, the times get tough, it won't be as much of a tell to the other side. I love the haircut example. Can I put the hair back on the head? Right. <laughs> and, you know, I guess to underline that point, you very rarely are, are, do you look back and say, wow, I, I wish I would have spoke quicker. You know, or I wish I wish I had not have taken my time before I I responded, but I know I think most of us can identify one or two times where we wish we would have thought about something a little bit more before we gave our official response or acknowledged something that that maybe wasn't favorable to our side in the first instance. Right, and since you're out in LA, you can appreciate this, uh, Mr. Hollywood. One of the things that I have a, a beef with with Hollywood is that they have like the protagonists of these shows who are just infinitely eloquent and know exactly what to say at the right time, and they're quick-witted. The show I always go back to is Scandal, and I had to stop watching Scandal because I'm like, this is not persuasive. It wouldn't work in real life <laughs> like this. Because I think one of the things that, ha not I think, I know that one of the things that uh, makes people think that they can't negotiate well is that they think, oh, I'm not as quick as Olivia Pope. You know, I'm not as, as witty as a Le Leonardo DiCaprio in these movies. I can't do that. But the thing is, it, negotiation is a skill. If you're an introvert or if you're somebody who isn't that quick with the retorts, that's fine. You can, you can utilize your unique negotiation style and take your time and wait until the right time to say something. You might not have something to say right now. And like you said earlier, give me a second to think about that. Let me get back to you on that. Slowing it down removes that issue of, of not being able to come up with a quick retort. And we have a lot of listeners who are in different countries. I've done a couple of coaching sessions with folks from uh, that English is their second language. And I think this is especially important to people who are trying to negotiate in their second language because it's tough to be quick. So don't feel the need to be quick. Just slow down and, and say the right thing. Exactly. Exactly. Allow them to be the quick side. And, uh, and you, you decide that says exactly what you mean and <laughs> nothing, nothing more. And to your point about protagonists and how quickly they speak on TV, take a look at the list of writers. Usually it's longer than, than the list of actors. And so that just goes to show it takes a lot of people to get the actors to speak that quickly and that, and that fast and that eloquently and not, not reality to your point. Reality is much slower, much more methodical. And you can also engender some trust with the other side if you take your time and, and respond. We know that it's not a catchphrase for you or, or something just to kind of shift the subject. It's something that you thought about and something that most likely you stand behind. Uh, Absolutely. Ah, man, I love this. See, I could, I could talk to you about this forever, but I know you have more quotes. So we'll, we'll get you back on to tell, tell the audience about the other ones. But before you go, I want you to share a, a few little parting shots of wisdom for the audience. I'm asking a new one, a new question uh, to the end. I want to see if you have any resources or books or blogs that you'd suggest uh, listeners check out in order to improve their persuasion abilities. 
sure. I think this is somewhat repetitive to what we discussed, but really, really over-prepare. Over-prepare and vary your sources of information. One thing that I've picked up recently that I really enjoy is listening to conversations on YouTube and listening to debates on YouTube. I think that a lot of positions are taken in in a conversation and in a debate that aren't that just can't be taken in speeches or in the delivery of information from one point of view. You're able to hear quick retorts and then see how the idea is slightly adjusted to deal with that retort or how flexible the logic is that's that's being put forth. So I I recommend that as a resource. I recommend resources like this, like your like your podcast which I, I've leaned on before and obviously listeners are, are accessing now, which is very important. So I think that would be my number one thing I want other one that everyone to take away is to definitely over-prepare and, and use a variety of resources to gain your knowledge, including talking to people. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for the shout out there. I appreciate it. <laughs> and secondly, this is so funny. So next time, so when we get the chance to hang out next time on the West Coast, uh, we definitely need to watch some arguments on YouTube because that's something I love to do too. I love it. It's so much fun. Like, uh, for instance, my wife's a doctor and sometimes she just wants to turn her brain off and her guilty pleasure is the Kardashians. And since I want to spend time with her, I'll watch it with her. But what I'm doing is I'm watching the conversations to see where it breaks down. <laughs> like, where did things go wrong? And how did this devolve so quickly into an argument? And what somebody else could have said differently to keep sanity in the conversation? And, and when you start doing that, especially in reality TV, or when it comes to watching news where you have the political pundits on, on the split screen, it's really fascinating because you can see where the breakdowns happen and it makes you a better listener and it'll make you sharper in your conversations. So you'll be more aware when you see things starting to go down the wrong path, you'll have the awareness to bring people right back to where it needs to be. That's right. And that really uh, eats into what I was saying earlier about pattern recognition. And yet I'm imagining through watching the Kardashians, you noticing patterns. <laughs> of the way people react to adversity or the way people try to get their point across. And it may be different from person to person and who they're talking to. So yeah, it's a great example. And YouTube is an excellent resource for that. When you come out to the West Coast, we definitely will watch some debates. One particular YouTube page, I think it's called Intelligence Squared. Oh, no, I need to check that out. Yeah, it's a, a good debate resource for, for everyone to go check out if they want to. Very cool. Well, good deal. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before you go, do you have like a, a social media handle or a, a website you'd like to share with the folks out there? No website yet. If you want to get in contact with me, I suggest people look for me on LinkedIn. I think my name will probably be in the description near, near this podcast. So just find me there and uh, I, I respond. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Baron. This was awesome. A lot of fun. Thank you. I, it was a lot of fun to be on. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're finding this information helpful, please remember to leave a review and subscribe. Our goal is to teach this to as many people as possible. And every time you leave a review, it makes it easier for people to find us in the search engines. With your support and listenership, we've grown to the point where we are now the number one ranked negotiation podcast, and we have listeners in 140 different countries. We appreciate your continued support, and please continue to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Remember, everybody who connects with me gets a personal message from me eventually. 
it takes time because uh, more and more people have been reaching out, but I want to hear from you and we actually get to chat. So continue to reach out. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you in the next one.